Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we've got only one podcast for everybody today. We're going to talk about some Double Masters. Yeah, but we're going to release it next week, too, in honor of Double Masters. So it'll be the same episode twice. Double everything. Double everything. This whole episode is going to have an echo reverb effect. It's going to be great. (laughs) I do. It does feel like there's just so many like gimmicky things about the format, but I'm kind of into all of them. I don't know. I I have loved the double first pick because I keep I keep forgetting about it. I, I usually remember pack one, pick one, but pack two, pick one. I always forget. And then it's like a little Christmas present because I'm trying to decide between two cards and then it's just like, boom, oh, I get to take both of them. <laughs> oh, see, I'm the opposite. I, I'm like ready for a pack one, pick one. So much so that pack one, pick two, I'm expecting that I get to take two picks. <laughs> and that's get, a like, giant letdown. Guys, I keep being like, oh, okay, so we could take like these two or we could take these two. And then chat's like, what are you talking about? Feels bad, man. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're going to be talking all about Double Masters today. Ben and I have uh, tried to jam as many drafts as we possibly can over the past few days since it released early on Magic Online. But before we get into any of that, just some quick housekeeping stuff. We got to talk about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. A lot of things that you get for giving back to the show, access to the Discord, access to our show notes in advance of the episode, access to these spreadsheets where Ben and I drop all of our draft logs and deck picks and notes about the deck. Um, So you can sort of just get a, a peek into what we're doing, see, learn from our mistakes, learn from our triumphs, uh, whichever one you want to do. Um, and each and every week, we want to shout out our new patrons. So this week, we are welcoming Felix, Ben, Bobby, Tristan, Catherine, Britton, Elijah, and Matt. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. New formats feels like are coming out every week. And, you know, we, we keep saying it. Discord's a great place to be at the start of formats. Double Masters, you know, trying to figure out on your own is tough. Like the first thing I didn't trophy my first few drafts. And one of the first things I did was go into the Double Masters channel and the Double Masters trophy page and just take a look at what people were valuing and what the trophy decks looked like. And I do think it really helps shape uh, what you think is good in the format and gives you it gives you a clear jumping point to start to make your own evaluations from. Yeah, I mean, you know, people say you can never get like a large enough sample size to figure out like what's good or whatever. But I feel like in the discord, we get as close as you can. Absolutely. All right. So there's a lot to discuss here, Ben. And you and I sort of spoiled a little bit in our pre-show trying to figure out the show notes. This was like the longest time we took having a conversation before recording the episode. And and as long as I can remember, really. Also, because normally I report to recording the episode like 
two minutes before we're scheduled to start because I sleep until the last possible moment. <laughs> I wasn't going to say any of that, but yes, that is uh, that is also true. So let's we'll, we'll start a little bit with our, our normal like format overview stuff. But Double Masters is is quite unique that I think there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations to have down the road. So to start us off here, I would say as a lot of Masters sets do, this feels to me very much like Cube. And I feel like that's maybe a cop out because we say that a lot of the times. It just feels so true, though. That's what I think. I mean, I think especially with the increase of so the gimmicks are right, double rares in the pack and double foils in the pack. So you can sometimes see a pack with like, you know, you see more than two rares, you can see like five uncommons, like they're they're, the packs are are weird in, in their breakdown. And so it does feel that rarity bump does feel a lot like cube. So you want to be drafting decks, not piles of good cards, the old old Sam Black strategy here, because they're all good cards, right? That's the thing you learn about when you draft cube. And I think that's what you learn about here. Like even the commons are quite powerful. Some of them have been bumped from rare down to common for this set. Uh, pockets of synergy, as well as like overarching synergy is very much rewarded here. Decks that are greater than the sum of their parts. That's the name of the game. 100%. And I think the other thing that goes along with Cube that I've really been trying to do in Double Masters and just lately in Magic in general is just push my curve lower and lower and lower. A lot of the aggro decks want to have curves similar to the green-white deck in M21 where you just want ones, twos, threes, and curves topping out at four CMC, you know, 16 lands, just very aggressive. But they're also like hyper aggressive and hyper synergistic compared to what's going on in M21. The one thing that's different than cube that I've I've come across quite a bit is that there really aren't lands as picks unless you're trying to do the, the Urzatron thing, um, which makes it so I've never been short playables, like really like going into pack two, I feel like oftentimes. And I think that's also partially because of the double pick in each of your first three packs that like you're just not going to have a problem making playables. And so I think you can be a little bit more picky or a little bit more like I'm going to try and do this thing or or I really need to prioritize cards X, Y, Z because of what my deck needs or my curve needs. So just think about that. Yeah, I have found an abundance of playables so much so that it's almost influencing how I'm drafting the set, right? Like I just really want to go after cards that drive archetypes and you you can waffle a long time before settling in if you want to like i've i've literally drafted decks simultaneously like through all of pack one and pack two even into pack three and you you still comfortably make playables as soon as you settle on your lane yeah for sure so that's that's something and i think we should probably also just throw out that you and i have been exclusively playing in the phantom events for this format correct i, I played one big boy uh 25 dollar entry last night with some friends so that we could do our decks in the friendly leagues yeah the the thing about so it seems like there's just not really the value to be had in this format so far according to goat bots um but also like in general for these master sets it's a lot more fun to just draft them without having to check like price lists every pack one pick one or pack two pick one and then decide like oh am i supposed to take this what's my threshold for drafting a money card that doesn't have anything to do with my deck, etc. Right. I passed like four Mishra's Bobbles last night and then someone told me it was like an $8 uncommon and I was like, oh, that feels bad. <laughs> right. But like, do you also then want to have to draft Mishra's Bobble? Like, that's, no, not at all. Exactly. I'm, I'm going to stick in the Phantom Keys. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's up next here? So outside of green, almost all of the colors care about artifacts in some way. And this makes artifacts really high picks and really synergistic. And it also, you know, lets green be the color that preys on artifacts, right? So green gets Conclave Naturalist at common. It's four and a green for a four, four when ETBs destroys target artifact or enchantment. And at uncommon, it gets Reclamation Sage, two and a green for the two, one destroy target artifact or enchantment on ETB. Both of those cards just feel like Flame Tongue Kavu because of how prevalent artifacts are everywhere in the format and how synergistic all the artifacts are. 
All right, green sort of feels like fun policing in that way. Yeah, it's been the the green beatdown decks have been scary to play against when you are playing an artifact based strategy. So this weird wrench that's thrown into the mix of each pack one, pick one, pack two, pick one, and pack three, pick one, you choose not one, but two cards out of the pack, I think lends itself to the question, are you supposed to take two cards that go together, or are you just supposed to take the two most inherently powerful cards out of that pack, regardless of if they would end up in the same deck? I have been doing a mixture of both. I think a lot of it depends on the power level gap. My inclination is to take the two most like intrin- not intrinsically powerful, but the two most the cards that push you towards like decks and synergies and archetypes the most, even if they're disparate archetypes. But it's really tempting, you know, if you get two that are in the same that also do that, that go really well together to do that. I don't think there's a, a hard and fast answer here. Yeah, I'd say I think I have by and large been trying to take two cards that'll end up in the same deck together, like two things that'll go well together. And I also feel like because you get those two picks, I'm I'm feeling very rarely that I get pushed off of what I'm doing initially. I also think that's be- largely because of how many colorless cards there are, like that you can just often make playables in whatever color pair you want. Yes, I agree that even if you're getting cut, that you're still going to make your deck, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that I think is true. Almost, almost again, like cube in that way, right? There's not really like signals per se in cube, like by and large, you can sit down in a cube draft and say, I want to draft this deck and you can draft that deck most of the time. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, the other thing I found about the double picks is that it, if you're heavily in one color at the end of pack one, like let's say you've got a lot of black cards and, you know, three or four white cards where you're like trending towards most likely going to be black, white. If you all of a sudden open two great blue cards in your in your pack two thing, it's really easy to pivot into, OK, I want to be blue, black because you're guaranteed those two great blue cards then like it's it's so much more than just getting one card and hoping that color comes like nailing down two great cards. If you can do that when you're opening pack two is is a really good feeling and lets you pivot easier. Yeah, for sure. I was drafting like red black the other day and then I opened Jace and Baleful Strix and I was like, okay, I'm red, blue, splashing black. Sounds good. (laughs) Like Very easy to make that switch. Yeah, for sure. So one of the other things that's really interesting about this format is there are a lot of cards here that are way better than their original formats. So to name a few, Orcish Vandal, one in a red for the one one that can tap, sacrifice an artifact to deal two damage to any target is much better here than it was in Dominaria. Uh, you can, there's just artifacts laying around everywhere. There's treasure tokens, there's clue tokens, you name it, there's artifacts to throw. Yeah. Speaking of artifacts to throw and treasure tokens to throw, there's Gleaming Barrier from Rivals of Ixalan. This is uh, two mana for an 0-4 artifact. When it dies, you make a treasure token. This card was basically unplayable in Rivals of Ixalan, or it was like, you would really be sad to put it in your deck. And this is a card I... You know, you want some sacrifice synergies with it. You want to care about the treasure token, etc. But I find that that to be pretty easy to come by in this format. This is a defiant salvager. This is tuna black for a two-two, and you can sacrifice a creature or an artifact to put a plus one plus one counter on it. Note only at sorcery speed. Punted pretty hard with that one yesterday. Oh no! Uh, when it went into combat, and Twitch chat was just typing no, no, and I was like, what are you guys talking about? This is totally fine. And then I went to <laughs> went to sacrifice, and it was not fine. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is a bummer. There's also topple the statue, which is absurd, right? So two and white for an instant tap target permanent. If it was an artifact, destroy it. And then you get a draw card. It's just Doomblade draw card. Yeah, like 
This card was filler at best in War of the Spark. And I think it was one of the only cards that has been bumped up in rarity. <laughs> like it was a common and now it's an uncommon. And I'm very thankful that it is. Right. Another one that's really sick is Woodland Champion. That's one in a green for the 2-2. And whenever a token enters the battlefield on your side of the battlefield, it gets a plus one plus one counter. There are so many tokens. There's Eldrazi spawn tokens. There's treasure tokens. There's clue tokens. There's squirrel tokens. This card is busted compared to its original format. Next up on our list here is talking about just the amount of value cards that there are. So many cards that like ETB and have an effect that is equivalent to or actually just draw a card that I think cards that just are random card draw like Sift or Brainstorm or whatever are not where you want to be. Right. Those are just inherently powerful cards and not synergistic cards. I do think there is like a straight up like more traditional blue black control deck where you do just have like card draw and the great black premium removal. But by and large, those cards are not synergistic and there's just better ways to get card advantage. Agree 100%. So this feels almost like M21 in the sense that the Naya pairs really want to be aggressive. And I think that's true here as well. But not only that they want to be aggressive, but they're good too. Like I think green white is actively good in this format. And that's not something that I found myself saying about a format ever, except for M21. So something to be on the lookout for. And then black also, contrary to M21, feels super deep at common here and very powerful. But I think blue and black, you know, by and large, tend to be on the more controlling side. You can get some aggressive starts in black, but I think the rares definitely help drive certainly the blue decks. Blue is very weak at common. Yeah, I would agree with that. And just just one last point about the weirdness of the like double rare pick, the double foil in the pack, that sort of thing. You're just going to see fewer commons than in a normal draft. But I wouldn't still call this like a Prince format. Like it's not really about bombs. Like it's just cube. Like cube isn't a Prince format or a pauper format. It's just cube. It's just powerful cards and everyone gets powerful cards and good interaction. Right. I think that's 100% true. And I completely agree. And I think that's a great springboard into our next discussion, which is I, I really want to rank the top commons. And we were having a great discussion before we started recording the podcast just about like, I really want to do this. And you could take it or leave it, right? So for me, I was thinking about framing this a little bit as like cooking versus following a recipe. And I think what you're doing in this format is very instinctual. And I think we're almost doing the same things. It's just two different approaches to go about it. Like, I really want to put the top commons down on paper because it helps me get a framework to contextualize their order in my head. And I deviate from that order very quickly. But like putting it down on paper makes makes me have something to evaluate and to move around. And it's much more fluid for you. Is that right? I, I agree. So I want to make a couple points that I, I will regurgitate from our conversation before the show, which is one that so for, for my money, I, I sort of tried to, to frame this as, you know, in a normal format, I feel like when we try and rank the top commons in each color, basically, by the time you get to number three, it, it's like, well, it could be this card or this card, or maybe even this card, depending on what your deck looks like. Like once you get to common number three in those rankings, it's really contextual. And even sometimes like even differentiating between the two, like when we were doing the Dominaria episode last week, it's like, all right, well, Eviscerate is number one in black, but then you want Vicious Offering number one and number two before you want Eviscerate number two. Like it starts to break down almost immediately. And I think in this format, because 
commons come up a little less in each pack, uh, that they make up less of what you're supposed to do. And you're trying to maximize your rares and your uncommons so much, or at least that's my experience, that a, a common pick order, even down to, to number one in a color, feels contextual to me. Yeah, I, I think that's true to a certain extent. I do think like the top one or two commons really stand out. The other thing I would say about the commons in this format that feels true to me is that the commons by and large, push you towards aggressive decks. And I do think you can reliably put together those aggressive decks if you're picking the commons in this order. Sure, I think that's fair. Yeah. So I think we're going to kick it into white. Uh, and, and note, these are my rankings. And and uh, the other thing I think that's super interesting about this is like, I'm sure some of these are wrong, right? I've played the format for two days, right? And one of the other things we were talking about is ranking colors that I think is is interesting to talk about before we before we dive into these top comments. Before the show, I was telling you, well, I think blue's garbage. And you were like, what? Why? Like, why? You know, it's way too early to say that blue is garbage. And and that's a really strong statement, right? And it's it's probably not quote unquote garbage. But I think the the point I'm trying to make through hyperbole is that I feel like blue's commons are nowhere near as deep as the other colors. And I think that does, we have seen by and large that when the commons are weaker, it ends up being one of the worst colors in the format. Do you think that holds true here or does not hold true? I do. But so the, this format is also weird because of how many colorless commons there are. So there's, you know, of, of the 90-ish commons that exist, I think like 26 of them are colorless. And so I'm taking those pretty high over-colored cards, or at least the best of those, I think, over-colored cards because... I know that almost everything except for green, and I really haven't drafted green yet because of this, because I'm like, I'm approaching the format like it's Artifact Masters. And so I'm taking colorless cards really high. And because I know that I will find things that care about colorless cards. And so if I'm down to picking commons, I'm not like going, oh, sick, I'm seeing, I mean, Ancestral Blade is sort of different. We'll get to that in a second. But I, even stuff like a braid, I'm not like, oh, sick, a braid. Like, I know I'm going to get removal. I know I'm going to get ways to blow up artifacts. Like, I don't need to feel like, oh, I'm going to move into red for a braid. Like, I might just take like Mirror Retriever or Icker Wellspring because I know that the decks I'm going to draft most likely are going to care about those cards. Right. And I think so you're it almost seems like you're trusting that you're going to find powerful cards, like powerful uncommons, rares, mythics that care about artifacts. And you very much want to be on the side of, I want to do the artifact stuff, right? Yeah, because that seems like the most supported thing to do. I think there is also another way to approach the format. And it sounds like maybe we're just approaching it differently, where like I at this point, I want to prey on those artifact decks by drafting focused aggressive decks because i think those artifact decks do take a while to get churning to do their powerful things has that been your experience that has not been my experience so what like so you feel like the artifact synergy decks that you're doing are are aggressive or just get on board fast or what like what's going on there yeah i'm drafting good curves so like you know i'm definitely having like lots of one and two drops in my deck but maybe those curves are like there's gleaming barriers in the number two slot or whatever. Like I recognize that I need to be on board early because white aggressive decks in particular, white equipment based aggressive decks are very powerful and very, very potent in this format. And I agree, you like don't rely on rares or whatever. Like you can just scrape together commons and have a pretty powerful deck there. But I feel like I'm getting redundant pieces of whatever. Like if I care about recurring stuff, I can have mirror retrievers and sanctum gargoyles. Or if I, you know, want to do the grindy token things, I'll get a hidden stockpile or a Thopter Foundry. Like my experience has been, which is why I'm prioritizing the artifacts so highly, is that I can get any there the payoffs are abundant. 
Like you just, you'll get the payoffs. I've had decks with like three mirror retrievers and double orcish vandal just to like have these like shocks on a stick sort of thing. I just feel like it's, it's easy to, to get those pieces together. Yeah. I, that, that makes sense to me. A hundred percent. The other point that I want to make about the, the pick order thing is that I recognize that my hesitancy to caring about pick orders and you said I could take or leave it. I, I think I'll, I'll just come out right out and say that I could leave it uh, in terms of <laughs> it being content that, that we get behind. But I recognize that it's something that people want. And I had a little back and forth with Alex on Twitter about this because you were made, made a point about like as educators of the format, we sort of need to come out with this kind of thing. And I worry that it's the sort of thing that will do more harm than good than to put these commons in order. Because from my experience, that's not what the format is about. It's about maximizing the power level of the rares and the uncommons that you see, and then just figure out what commons you need that are going to best support those cards that you see or those archetypes you see. And it's not necessarily about an inherent pick order. But then when you put out this pick order, the people are going to stick to that. And I I worry that then they just end up with a deck that's not going to be synergistic at all. And if that's where you end up at the end of this draft format, you're going to be in a bad spot. Right. So that leaves me to several interesting things. So one, I think <laughs> I, I I agree with what you're saying. And I, again, I think we're just going about it two different ways. I think in this list of top commons, if we get it right, are going to end up being the commons that are the most synergistic, right? I think that's a true statement that if this list was correct, that would be what it would be. Yes. Yes. Uh, like our, our mixture of most synergistic and rawly powerful, like some of the removal. Or for example, there's a card executioner's capsule. It's single black for an artifact that you can pay a one and a black to sacrifice it to destroy target non-black creature. Like that's powerful and synergistic because it's an artifact, right? And there's a lot of things that care about artifacts and ways to loop artifacts. I, that is the top black comment. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> and, and so if we're doing it right, the most synergistic and the most powerful things are going to end up on the list. But I, I also have another question for you. Like, do you, are you, when you sit down to draft this format right now, looking to do anything in particular, or are you going where the draft is taking you? I'm going where the draft is taking me with the asterisk of recognizing that I will get artifact payoffs if I want them. And that means that artifacts are good picks, period. Right. And so I think I am sitting down, like, because of this common pick order ranking and what I feel like are very good aggro decks that you can draft, like very synergistic, aggressive decks that you can draft if you have this common pick order. Like I'm sitting down at the draft trying to do that more. Like that's the purpose for me of coming up with this list is to give myself a preference to draft with. And then once I have that preference, I draft with that preference. And then if it's working well, okay, great. Like that help solidify some of those conclusions. Like it's almost like coming up with a hypothesis for me. Like this list is a hypothesis and then I go into the draft and I test the hypothesis. And then afterwards I evaluate the results of, yes, my experiment was successful, like validated my findings or no, it wasn't. And it just is constantly that draft in and draft out. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I just don't think that's necessary for this format. Like coming off the heels of something like M21, where I definitely felt like that was helpful for me to finally like come down hard of like, I'm soft forcing Naya. I'm avoiding black. And even when I was doing my weird like stipulations of drafting non-aggressive decks, like then that meant, well, then we're not really ever drafting white or blue. And then we're really focusing on jund colors. Like, I just don't think you need to do that in this set. Like I'm not, again, we were talking about this before the show about like, you were like blue is garbage. And I'm just like, I I stay three. I have no interest. My data does not suggest that that is the case. I have no interest in writing a color off or soft avoiding a color because of that. And like, I recognize that the format is fast, but I 
feels like the tools are there to combat that a hundred percent. And so I don't need to like bias myself towards aggressive decks because I feel like I'm getting an edge in that respect. Yes, I, I agree with all of that. I think for me, like saying blue is garbage is just like complete hyperbole, which you're probably pushing back against rightfully so. But to me, like that, that statement blue is garbage in, in translating to Ben means I think it's weak at common. And so I think it's going to come together less consistently. So if like given the choice to start down, you know, a white beat down equipment artifact synergy deck with an ancestral blade versus taking something that might lead me down a blue path a little bit more, like I want to hedge towards the white side of things so that I'm more likely to get my deck to come together. But I guess maybe there's so many playables that it's just a moot point and you're going to get your deck to come together regardless. And you just need to know how to build the blue decks to combat those strategies. I almost just feel like early in the format, figuring out the aggro decks rewards you sooner because they're more obvious to put together. And then that that dictates how the control decks have to react to those decks almost in a certain way. Right. I mean, I think again, I'll, I'll compare it to cube. Like, you know, whenever you're trying to start someone off on cube, I feel like you say like, well, just draft mono red or mono white. And I think if you know, if you wanted to send someone into double masters blind, I think just say draft a white aggressive deck is the most like foolproof strategy. Sure. Yeah, that's very interesting. Okay, all good stuff there. And so without further ado, we're actually going to teach you how to draft double masters instead of theorize about it. Um, so getting into these top commons, and we're going to talk about <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> We can't have this conversation. And then you go, all right, so now to teach everyone about the format, we're going to rank the commons. <laughs> well, but it sort not, of not... invalidates all of what I was saying. No, 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 it doesn't because we're going to do it, but we're going to talk about like the decks where these cards shine and, and preface this with this is not a hard and fast order and that likely some of it is incorrect because we've only drafted the format for two days and that the conversations are, you know, much like LR says, the conversation is much more important than the ranking, but that we have to have something to give us a, a springboard off of. I agree. That, that's where I'm at. Maybe it'd be helpful to say like, all right, let's talk about what the four white decks are in broad strokes and then talk about the top commons. How do you feel about that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I'll start with white blue. Um, I think I've drafted that more than you, or at least have had more success with it than you. It sounds like you're you're not, not into that deck that much. I have drafted it once, but it was a like my draft essentially was a disconnect draft. So oh, I only got to right, make right, a, right. Pa a pack and a half of my picks. <laughs> so I think blue white can play out in a number of ways, but it, it feels very much to me like the deck. If you played in modern masters one, there was an affinity artifact deck, and this has a lot of the same pieces as that deck does. And so I think it's, it's mostly at its core of value deck. Um, Esper Zoa is back here and is as good as it was in modern masters. This is two and a blue for a four, three with flying at the beginning of your upkeep return an artifact you control to its owner's hand. So fans of Shimmerwing Chimera from Theros Beyond Death do not rejoice, or maybe you rejoice, but this is a, not a May ability, and it's not other artifact. So if Esperzo is the only artifact on the battlefield, you have to return it. So it, it is potentially tempo negative, but getting that in conjunction with things like Iker Wellspring, these like two mana artifacts that ETB and draw cards, there's these four mana value cards in Sanctum Gargoyle and Fairy Mechanist. Sanctum Gargoyle is a 2-3 flyer in white that returns an artifact from your graveyard. Fairy Mechanist is a 2-2 flyer in blue for four mana that lets you look at the top three cards of your library. And if you find an artifact, you can reveal it, put it into your hand. So you're doing all these just like little incremental pieces of value um, backed up by, you know, maybe you get some powerful uncommons like Thopter Foundry, which lets you sack artifacts to make 1-1 one, one flyers. Glass Dust Hulk is uh, the sort of signpost on common, five mana, three, four, uh, that has whenever you have an artifact ETB, it gets plus plus one and unblockable until end of turn. So it, it feels sort of like 
you know, it, it can be fast. It's evasive. It's grindy for sure. Like you can get a lot of good value pieces. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to build the deck, but that's been my experience with it. Yeah. And where would you say it lands on the aggro control spectrum? I think I would put it more on the control spectrum than the aggro spectrum. But it has draws where you can just like curve out and do some sweet stuff. Yeah. Right, I think if you, I think you could be more base white and then you're more taking advantage of like equipment stuff and then you get Thraben Inspector as a good one drop, etc. So, you know, I think, I think it can go toe to toe with aggro decks because of all the like two for one value that it has but yeah definitely can be aggro so one of the ones that i've played the most is black white grind if we're talking about white color pairs uh super sweet deck uh the headliner uncommon for black white is hidden stockpile it's white black for an enchantment and at the beginning of your end step if you had a permanent leave the battlefield you get to make a one one artifact servo token and then you can pay one to sacrifice a creature to scry one if you get these in multiples, if one thing leaves the battlefield, you're churning out multiple servo tokens, which is busted in half, and also just a very good value engine. So I think this deck is almost more aggressive in nature if it's common-based, and I think if you get some rares and uncommons, it, it pushes a little more towards the control grindy route. But ultimately, you're trying to play black-white artifact aggro, I think, that also has like a very grindy late-game strategy that it can enact. If, if it gets brick walled on the aggro plan. So some of the headliners are Ancestral Blade, which is going to be key to almost every white deck. It's one and a white for uh, an equipment that when it ETBs, you make a 1-1 soldier token and you equip the Ancestral Blade to it, which is an equipment that gives you plus one, plus one, and has an equip cost of one. So essentially you get a 2-2, two, two, and then when that creature dies, you, know, you, get, you get the Ancestral Blade as an equipment laying around, which is super powerful. And there's just a lot of cards that make you know, a body and an artifact which is, which is really good. Uh, so Glint Sleeve Artisan is two and a white for a 2-2. Two, two. When it ETBs, you fabricate, which means you get a choice between putting a plus one, plus one counter on the Glint Sleeve Artisan or making a servo. You should 95% of the time in this format make a servo. Um, there's Thraben Inspector, which is outstanding. It's uh, white for a 1-2. And when it ETBs, you investigate, which means you get a clue token, which is an artifact, which is very synergistic. And then all of those things help you be aggressive through you know, some black removal. Uh, there's Disciple of the Vault at Uncommon, which is super sweet in this deck. So it's black for a 1-1. One, one. This is at Uncommon, got upshifted from Common. And whenever an artifact goes to the graveyard on either side of the battlefield, your opponent loses one life. But presumably, you're going to be putting a lot of artifacts in your own graveyard with this deck for value. Um, so it really excels there. Also, one of the best black commons, which is Glaze Fiend. It's one and a black for an 0-1 artifact creature. And whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. There are some sick combo turns with Glaze Fiend in this format. Yeah, for sure. Uh, White-red aggro equipment is a really good deck, but I really think it's just like, this is just white-based aggressive decks get to inherently take advantage of equipment synergies um and i think you can pair them with any color but white red is sort of the headliner with weapons trainer as the hallmark uncommon it's a red white for a three two and it says if you control an equipment each other creature you control gets plus one plus oh there's like cranial plating is probably the best of the bunch of the equipment this is two mana for an equipment with an equip cost of one and it gives the equipped creature plus x plus o where x is equal to the number of artifacts you control um it also has an instant speed equip cost of black black which is kind of crazy um, but there's just tons of equipment floating around at common, uh, Darksteel Axe, 
Um, Ancestral Blade we talked about, we talked about a lot. There's this thing that I thought was kind of a junker. It's Golem Skin Gauntlets. It's one mana for an equipment that gives the equipped creature plus X plus O for each equipment attached to it and has a equip cost of two. But there's just a lot of, of good equipment. They stack really well. There's a lot of ways to make tokens. There's cards in red that like care about being equipped, like Goblin Gavalier, which is one mana for a one one with trample, and it gets plus two plus O for each equipment attached to it. A lot of really sweet things at rare, like Stoneforge Mystic or Pure Steel paladin that i've had the chance to play with this deck i think is is the deck that keeps the control stuff in check i agree 100 the other thing i think that is true about this deck this is an in theory thing because i haven't drafted the deck yet but i've played against it a bunch and i do think you really want a lot of living weapon equipment specifically ancestral blade and flare husk as the ones with the cheapest equip costs because one of the one of the problems my opponents have had when they've played this deck against me is that it folds to a couple well-timed removal spells if you don't have a lot of living weapons like if you're jamming like you know three dark steel axes and four golem skin gauntlets and then your opponent you know lightning bolts your two creatures all of a sudden you have no cards in hand and you're hoping to draw a creature and that's just a bad place to be and the living weapons really help mitigate that problem yeah i think i mean lumping ancestral blade in with uh, those others feels bad because ancestral blade is so good but i agree with (laughs) flare husk um sickle slicer and whatever the flying wings one is i i think are less good i think the two two bodies they bring along for the cost of those equipment isn't good enough. Yeah, Skin Wing is the other one. It's four mana for uh, a living weapon that gets plus two, plus two in flying and then has an equip cost of six. That leaves us with White Green, which is also another busted aggro deck. So White Green is all about tokens and go wide. And so again, you get all those white cards we mentioned before, but you get things in green like Chatter of the Squirrel, which is essentially just Whisper Squad. It's great. Single green, you make a one, one squirrel token, and then you can flash it back for one and a green to make another squirrel token. That card is super strong and one of the reasons this green white deck is so busted is that might of the masses is at common which means you're the only deck really that cares about might of the masses so you're gonna be able to wheel it and it's premium in your deck so might of the masses is green for an instant uh, target creature gets plus x plus x where x is the number of tokens or creatures <laughs> usually tokens but as creatures on your side of the battlefield um, this also takes advantage of Crusader of Odric. Tuna White for a star star with power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control. That can really go off in this deck. And again, you're the only deck that really wants Crusader of Odric as the green-white deck. And then it just has a lot of great uncommons. Woodland Champion, you know, synergizes with all these tokens you're making to get huge. Selesnia Guild Mage is just busted in general and really excels here. It can pump your team. Um, there, there's so many rares. There's Voice of Resurgence. There's Doubling Season. There's a, a lot of cards that really, really excel in green-white. And I think, again, I might have green-white as the best deck in this format as well, or, or one of the ones that's at least going to most reliably come together based on commons and is very powerful. So my question is, how do you get into this deck? Or how have you gotten into this deck? I think if you don't get busted rares, it's very easy to say, okay, I didn't open busted rares. I know this deck is going to come together. I'm going to bias towards it. I think you pick Ancestral Blade highly, and I think you're picking Chatter of the Squirrel highly, and you you note things like Might of the Masses that are going to wheel. But a lot of times it's just as simple as something as, for me, first picking Woodland Champion makes me want to draft this deck. Like, I think it comes together that reliably and Woodwind, Woodland Champion is powerful enough that it's incentive enough to push me down the route. Like if there's any sort of uncommon or rare that I open that says do this, I 100% know it's deep enough at common that I'm going to be able to do it. All right, sweet. I have not played with or against this deck yet, but you are selling me hard on it. It's, it's very good. And the other thing that it does so well 
is that, you know, people are picking their, you know, their upgrades and people are picking their executioner's capsules very highly. And this deck just laughs at those cards for the most part. It's like, yeah, you can pick off Woodland Champion or whatever, but eventually you're just going to die to an army of tokens. Similar to the Masters set that had, what was the, the green card that makes three one ones that has Convoke? What's that card called? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you're talking about, yeah. Like that, that deck was so busted in that Masters set because it was resilient to all of the premium removal, right? You just invalidate all your opponent's removal. That thing's going on. That same effect is going on with green-white tokens here. And I think the deck is similarly powerful. Like I'm pretty hard on this as, if not the best deck, like very tier one and super good. Nice. All right. So let's talk about, we've been talking about Ancestral Blade enough that that's very clear that that is our number one white common. Uh, what's number two here on your list, Ben? I could be convinced that it's Raven Inspector, but right now I've got Glint Sleeve Artisan. It's two and a white for the 2-2 two, two that when it ETBs, you fabricate. So essentially you're making a 1-1 one, one servo. And here's why this is good in the format, right? Two bodies is good. There's a lot of things that care about sacrificing in red, white, and white, black. There's a lot of things that care about artifacts entering the battlefield. So this brings an artifact along with it, which is really powerful, um, especially in the white black deck. It just does so much Bes- besides the fact that just a three drop that makes a two, two and a one, one is an intrinsically powerful magic card in limited, right? The point you were trying to make about the living weapons, helping the white based equipment decks, like Glint Sleeve Artisan just does it better. Like I, I drafted a really sweet white black aggressive deck with like triple glaze fiend and I had triple Glint Sleeve Artisan. And I can't tell you how many times like, oh snap, I have like three equipment on the battlefield. I just got a top deck anything and Glint Sleeve Artisan just felt like the nuts. Right. Yeah, that makes 100% sense to me. And then in the number three slot, we've got Thraben Inspector, white for the one, two, when ETBs you investigate. Again, for every reason that Glensleeve Artisan is synergistic, Thraben Inspector is as well. Like a body and an artifact is so, so, so strong and it replaces itself. So you're not going to run out of gas. All right. So moving on to blue. So we talked about these discussions will get shorter and shorter as we move down the colors. So we've talked about blue, white. So I'll start the conversation off with blue, red. The signpost, quote unquote, gold uncommon here is, is it charm? Which I think is a bit of a red herring in terms of like letting you think like, oh, blue, red is about spells. It's really not about anything which is like partially bad but i think partially good it's just really reliant on you know we in our show notes here we called it blue red rares which i think isn't the worst thing to to talk about it like it is gonna be reliant on you getting good rares and uncommons like you shouldn't be getting into this deck for the commons and i think that's probably true about all the blue decks really but i think you can do a lot of stuff this can be sacrifice value with like orcish vandal or you get riddlesmith that like is the two mana two one that when you cast an artifact you can loot, and it can be aggro with salivating gremlins and like a bunch of other artifacty stuff. It could be doing charge counter proliferate things. But again, I think you you want to think about this as a a deck that is based around uncommons and rares. So I think I want to hop quickly back to green white. You were talking about how you get into the blue rares deck a little bit, uh, and and it is by opening busted cards. I think green white is good enough and deep enough at common. That right now and and likely to be underdrafted because people want to do the sweet artifact things, right? Like green white is not a sexy deck per se. That if you wanted to sit down at a draft, I think you can say, I want to draft this green white deck, and you're likely to do very well. If that makes sense. I think that's that's another hidden value of like doing this ranking stuff and like trying to rank the archetypes and rank the colors lets you do things like that at the start of the format. Not that that's the most responsible way to draft, but I do think that is another another benefit of it. Yeah. All right. So moving on to blue black. This is a deck that I have not played yet, but I, I can really picture how it goes together and I have played against it. So 
there's I think there's two versions of blue black. I think there's an aggressive version that's common based, and I think there's a control version that's much more uncommon rare based. But so the the common based version of it really wants to be aggressive and and wants to be essentially blue black artifact aggro and trying to curve out with Glaze Fiend, which is that one in a black O one artifact creature token with flying that gets plus two plus two whenever you play an artifact. That into Parasitic Strix as a curve, which is two and a blue for a two two, and when ETBs, if you control a black permanent, you drain two, gain two. That start is very powerful, and you know gives you two evasive threats that you just back up with artifacts and things like that. So I do think that's a version of the deck, and then there's a much more controlling, valuey version of the deck that's based around the headliner uncommon, which is Sphinx Summoner, three blue black for a three three artifact creature with flying, and when it ETBs, you get to search up any artifact creature card in your deck and put it into your hand. That card is absurd. Yeah, really, really powerful. And there's there's a lot of busted uncommon and rare artifact creatures. Let me tell you. Uh, last on the list of blue decks is blue green ramp which i think is one of the probably worst decks in the set if we're if we're trying to rank them here um so the like headliner uncommon is a bit of a clunker it's this five green blue blue for yavamaya's embrace it's an enchantment it's a control magic effect and the enchanted creature gets plus two plus two and trample it's very very expensive um and really, really tough to justify, I would say. The fact that it dies to Conclave Naturalist at common when that's a very high pick at common is just a tough sell. Well, yeah, for sure. Well, and the fact that there's such efficient removal, like you just like, okay, cast down, like I 2-4 on myself, whatever, but you spend eight mana. So th- there is ramp. Blue gets Apprentice Wizard, which is one blue blue for an 0-1, and you can pay blue, tap it to add three colorless mana to your mana pool. Um, green gets Whisperer of the Wilds, which is an 0-2 for two mana that taps for green mana or taps for double green. If you control a creature with power four or green, Raider. There's Kozilek's Predator that makes a couple Eldrazi spawn tokens that can be sacked for mana. Like this, this deck can come together, but I just don't think it's something you should be getting into basically ever. I drafted this once yesterday and eked out a 2 1 and was like pretty happy with it. And I had a lot, a lot, a lot of ramp. I had double Yabamaya's Embrace and Terracidon. There was one turn where I think I used like 15 mana or something to cast like two busted things like it, it, it can be sweet but it feels like it's hard to get under aggressive decks right and of all the decks this is the one that wants the tron lands the most as well right i would think so and then i think the tron lands are they're really hard to draft i mean there are some pieces to get them like expedition map and crop rotation to like search them up out of your library but by and large i think that they're mostly meme like you can just like really try to do the thing and just like not get there which feels bad and i think you really only want to start down that path if like you open up a Karn or a Worm Coil Engine or whatever. Right. And the, the deck's clunky as well, too. But like like most ramp decks, you can draw the wrong half of your deck at the wrong time. Like right. Apprentice, Apprentice Wizard, just like dying to a removal spell after you spent three mana. And that was the thing that was going to ramp you to your seven drop. Feels pretty bad. Like there, there's just a lot of problems with blue green. So what did you come up with in your your almighty ranking of the commons <laughs> so i would like to preface this with like this one i especially feel like does not matter you know what what you were your contention that like these are not driving the decks essentially like i think that's very true about blue so i think this one there's not a lot of relevance to but here, here's my current blue pick order rankings I've got relic runner at number one Mostly because I think if you're doing stuff with blue commons, you're wanting to be aggressive, but that's not like blue commons might as well be artifacts, you know, like the top commons, the top commons you're taking for blue decks. That's right. Mirror Retriever, Iker Wellspring. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I think I think that's true. Like no Kappa, right? But the other blue cards, Relic Runner at one, it's one and a blue for a two one. And whenever a historic card, which in this format is 
likely artifact enter the battlefield. It's unblockable until end of turn. Uh, number two, Parasitic Strix, the two and a blue 2-2 two, two flyer that when it ETBs, if you control a black permanent, you drain two, gain two. And Fairy Mechanist, three and a blue for the 2-2 two, two artifact creature when it ETBs, if you control another artifact, uh, you get to look at the top three cards of your library and put an artifact card from among them into your hand. I was really hot on Fairy Mechanist until I whiffed for the first time. I, I just like didn't, I hit like the first six times I cast the card and then I was like, oh, this can miss. This really isn't good. <laughs> I agree. So there, there's an, a problem, as I think, this is something I'm just going to talk about, I guess, every format is the four drop problem. <laughs> like, I feel like every format has this issue where like you can just do sweet things at four mana and especially in these artifact decks. Like you've got Sanctum Gargoyle in white, you've got Fairy Mechanist in blue, but also a card that's really impressed me is Iron League Steed. This is four mana for an artifact. It's a 2-2 with haste and fabricate. So it can either be a 3-3 haste or a 2-2 haste with a 1-1. And actually this feels unlike Glint Sleeve Artisan, which feels like you always make a 1-1. Like this one does have, you know, you you have the choice there of, of what the board state dictates and what your deck wants to do. But that has also felt like a really totally fine four drop in these Artifact Matters decks. But like Fairy Mechanist, just because of that, it could whiff some amount of the time factor. It's not as high of a pick as I, I remember it being in like original Modern Masters. Right. Agree. And I think the other thing you you brought up about the Steed there, like think about that card in tandem with Glaze Fiend. Like both of those cards are not good cards intrinsically, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're failing the vanilla test. They're failing quadrant theory. Like if your curve goes glaze fiend, glaze fiend into steed, steed, like you're on back to back turns, you're attacking with four or five flyers, two, four or five flyers. If you fabricate it, like that's the sort of thing that you're trying to do in this format. Well, I think that's the sort of thing like they, to keep in mind based on these pick orders or based on talking about the commons, like these are the sort of fail safe things you can do. It's like, well, if I don't get the busted stuff, I know I can do green, white, go wide. I know I can probably draft this blue, black curve out deck. Like, and just being aware of what the pieces are for those decks, I think is important. Yes, agree 100%. All right, moving on to black decks. Uh, So we've already talked about black, white, and black, blue. So I will hop into black, red. Uh, That is my lone trophy so far. I've had a lot of two ones and one trophy. Um, black red, I think really wants to be artifact aggro and, and some sacrifice stuff going on there. Uh, so the headliner uncommon for black red is unlicensed disintegration, one black red for an instant destroy target creature. And if you control an artifact on your side, then unlicensed disintegration deals three damage to the controller of the creature that you killed. It's very, very good. And that that's sort of the name of the game, right? Like you want to use Glaze Fiend that we've talked about. The red card that's really great at common that's aggressive is sal- salivating gremlins, two and a red for a two, three. Whenever an artifact ETBs on your side, it gets plus two plus O and trample until end of turn. And there's a lot of sweet things to do with in black red with things that make artifact tokens specifically treasure where you can get some good turns where you go off with your glaze fiend and your salivating gremlins that's all really good at common and there's just a lot of uncommons and rares you know falcon wrath aristocrat is in the format for one flying haste trample does six stuff um, painsmith is a really good one here one on a black for a two one and whenever an artifact enters the battlefield on your side you can give a creature plus two plus oh and death touch without paying any mana there's just, it's just like removal, dudes, pressure, and cards that care about artifacts. Um, and I think it's a, a really powerful deck. Last deck to talk about here is Black Green. Not a deck that I've had the chance to draft yet, but a deck that I have faced. And uh, while the signpost on common, I think, signals what the deck is trying to do, I don't think this card is very good. It's Death Reap Ritual, two Black Green for an enchantment. With Morbid at the beginning of each end step, if a creature died this turn, you may draw a card. But that does let you know like Black Green is a sacrifice deck, 
It's a graveyard deck, but it, I think it has different flavors. I think that makes you think, oh, this is a grindy late game control deck. And I think it can be that, but I also think you can do some explosive things. So this color pair gets the two basic mana cyclers in Elvish Aberration and Twisted Abomination. And then there's a four mana uh, reanimate effect. So you can do that, right? You can like creature cycle and then reanimate like we saw in... Ikoria, that sort of thing. You know, you can use the aforementioned uh, Salvager to sacrifice stuff and get like plus plus one counter synergies. Woodland Champion, I think, is good here with Eldrazi spawn tokens and Kozilek's Predator. I've just seen some like really explosive stuff from a deck like this rather than only seeing it be like late game grindy control value. Right. And I think one of the other cards that you haven't mentioned that's very explosive out of these, this and the red black deck specifically at common is Bone Picker. Yeah. Uh, three, three, three and a black for a three two flyer with death touch. And if a creature died this turn, it costs three less to cast. So single black for a three two. There's so many. This is downshifted from uncommon. And one of the other one of the other things is a lot of the great commons were uncommons in their actual set that got, that got right. downshifted. And I don't even know that this qualifies as a top black common yet, but it's certainly up there. If it's not, you know, number three is number four, probably. But black, green, and black, red can both turn on proactively super cheap bone pickers, and it just randomly is going to be great. With the, the prevalence of Orcish Vandal and Pyrite Spellbomb, I have felt less bad about opposing bone pickers. Like It feels like they're, they're deal-withable. The old dies to shock thing is applicable here, but still very powerful. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that takes us to ranking the black commons. At number one, I've got Executioner's Capsule, which is black for an artifact and has one in a black tap, sacrifice it, destroy target non-black creature. It's close with cast down, I think. So cast down is number two for me, one in a black for instant destroy target non-legendary creature. I think basically if your deck cares about artifacts, which most decks do, Executioner's Capsule is better. But if they don't, certainly cast down is better. And I think there's an argument for a mixture, even if you care about artifacts. Yeah. And then in the number three slot, we've got Glaze Fiend, one in a black for the 01 artifact creature that whenever an artifact ETBs, I uh, guess plus two plus two until end of turn, uh, just on the back of all the aggressive artifact synergies you can put together. But there's there's black is super deep at common. There's Defiant Salvager, there's Bone Picker, like, you know, seven or eight commons deep. The black commons are still great. So the last deck on the list here is red green. And I, I was streaming on Friday, like as soon as I could draft double masters i was and i was like you know t talking about top of the statue being like doom blade draw a card and like just every anything that blows up an artifact is great and then alex comes into my chat and he's like oh yeah i just trophied with a deck with no artifacts <laughs> i was like what and so i went checked his twitter and he's got this like red green garbage aggro deck with like double conclave naturalists and reclamation sage and just a bunch of junkers and talking about sylvan might being a good card this is one in a green for an instant to give plus two plus two and trample to a creature and it has flashback for two green green and double might of the masses like i think this sort of feels similar to what we were talking about with green white in terms of you know it's probably a deck that can come together looks like green gives it some help but then you also get like you know blood rush goodies so that the signpost uncommon for red green is gore clan rampager which is a house two red green for a four four with trample but as blood rush where it can be like a combat trick for red green you discard it and give an attacking creature plus four plus four and trample until end of turn yeah card really wants to beat down the color pair really wants to beat down it wants to prey on the artifact decks and has i, I do think sylvan might as a key card like really wants to assemble large monsters and maybe team or battle rage them uh which is one in a red for the instant uh gives target creature double strike and then if if you have a ferocious creature power four or greater it also gets trample that's like a key like one two combo that you can do make a big dude with battle rush and then team or battle rage and there's also a lot of like death touch trample synergies going on on the back of death's head cobra at common you know you can give that oh, death yeah. touch and then like pump it up that's some sick stuff that you can do 
there's there's some really cool things in that color pair. So top of the heap here has to be a braid, right? Bumped down from uncommon to common, one on a red instant, choose one, deal three damage to a creature or destroy an artifact. Yeah, I think that card is absurd in the format. I think removal is, like, that's a question, right? Is removal good in the format? I think removal is good in the format. I think you don't want too many, but like I'm fine having five or six premium removal spells in my decks. You were saying this on stream, I think, and I agree. This format feels more about doing your own thing than disrupting your opponent's thing. Uh, Yes, I think that's true, but I think a well-timed one or two mana removal spell is great like at disrupting your opponent's thing. Right, you're going to be very sad if you end a draft without ways to interact with your opponent's stuff. Right. So at number two, Salivating Gremlins on the back of, you know, a lot of the decks wanting to be aggressive and caring about artifact aggro. Uh, that's two in a red for the two, three, and whenever an artifact ETBs gets plus two, plus oh, and trample. How about this for the number three? How about Pyrite Spellbomb? I'd buy it. Pyrite Spellbomb is gas. Yeah. And I do think, like, I'm not putting that in a deck where I can't. I'm not putting it in just as a cantripping artifact. Yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't have that listed because it was an artifact, but I certainly think that's better than Gavalier and Vandal. I have those as question marks here. So Goblin Gavalier is single red for the 1-1 one, one with Trample and gets plus 2 plus 0 oh for each equipment that's attached to it. And Orcish Vandal as well, 1 in a red for the 1-1 one, one that can tap, sacrifice an artifact, deal 2 damage to any target. And last up is green, but we've already talked about the decks. So we've got Conclave Naturalists here as number one, old Flame Tongue Kavu, Ravenous Chupacabra, whatever you want to call it. It's five mana, four, four. When it ETBs, you can blow up an artifact or an enchantment. And worth noting for me, at least, like green is another one where I don't feel very confident about the cards or the order yet. So still trying to feel that out. At number two, I've got Clear Shot, but this has not been super impressive for me yet so far. Uh, it's two and a green for the instant, uh, gives target creature plus one plus one until end of turn, and then that creature deals damage equal to its power uh, to target creature you don't control. So this is l- the literal like best version of this kind of effect we've ever seen, right? Right. Like an in- instant speed punch that also gives your creature plus one plus one. Right. And like everyone freaked out when they saw that this was downshifted to common. Yeah, it's been it's been unimpressive. Like there's a lot of great cheap interaction. Like you can't ever cast it into open mana. I don't know. Um, I, I think there is better removal than clear shot. So that one, the jury's out on that one for me. And then a few other green cards that have really stood out to me are Chatter of the Squirrel, the token maker, single green, make a 1-1 one, one squirrel token, and you can flash it back for one and a green. Bloodbriar has been a serious beatdown card. This is two and a green for a 2-3, and whenever you sacrifice a permanent, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Goes very well in tandem in curve with Kozilek's Predator, which is three and a green for a 3-3, three, three, and makes two Eldrazi spawn tokens that you can then sacrifice for mana and grows your Bloodbriar into a 4-5. Like That's a great curve that you can do at common as far as like green beatdown decks. So uh, yeah, I'm not not confident about the order there yet, but I do think those are some standout cards. For sure. So yeah, I think that's a great discussion about you know archetypes, mixing in some top commons there, and hopefully that gives you a broad overview of the format. Just to throw some tentative color pair uh, tier rankings out there. Tier one, I've got uh, green-white, black-white, black-red, and green-black. So really a fan of how deep black is at common at the moment. Uh, tier two, blue-black, red-green, red white and blue white and then in tier three bringing up the rear blue red and blue green just on the back of how dependent they are on rares and higher rarity cards to come together and i think just not being as consistent or as powerful as some of the more streamlined aggressive strategies you can put together yeah so i think that's a great place to take us into an example of a a pack one pick one or (laughs) pack one pick two as it were in double masters because you do get two picks so ben are you ready to take a seat let's do it all right so we will read through every single card here and what they do so strap in we've got uh first up is volshock gauntlets this is two mana for an equipment the equip cost is three equipped creature gets plus four plus two and doesn't untap 
tap during its controller's untap step. I have not seen this card played. I have not either. I think it is not particularly playable. Yeah. And then we got two Tron lands here in Urza's Tower and Urza's Power Plant. Uh, Tower is the tap one, but tap three if you control all three. And Power Plant is uh, one of the the tap one or tap two if you control all three. Have you experienced Tron yet in the format, Ben? I have gotten Tron. And? Was it sick? No, it was not sick for my Uh, opponent. They did not have the appropriate top end when they got... They hit Natty Tron, though. It was impressive. That is impressive. Yeah, that's one of the things I definitely want to do, but I have not gotten to do it yet. Sanctum Spirit, three and a white for a 3-2 with lifelink. You can discard a historic card to give it indestructible until end of turn. Wasn't very good in Dominaria, and I have not seen a home for it yet. Yeah, has not been impressive. I do like Iron League Steed. We talked about that. The four mana 2-2 Haste Fabricate 1. Driver of the Dead. Three and a black for a 3-2. When it dies, you can return target creature card with CMC two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. I keep wanting this to be good. I also... That's funny. <laughs> I also keep wanting it to be good, and it has not been impressive. The, it, four mana is just too much, and there's too many better things to do. Yeah, the four, the four drop problem is real. Brainstorm. Uh, single blue for an instant draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand on the top of your library. Even if you find some shuffle effect with this i just don't think this is what you want to be doing agree argivian restoration two blue blue for a sorcery return target artifact card from your graveyard to the battlefield this card seems like it could be sweet there's some discard effects like cathartic reunion or whatever yeah i do think and this is like again more rare and uncommon based because that's where the busted artifacts are but you know you get yourself a mere battle sphere and you argivian restoration it out and all of a sudden you're doing it yeah i think i think argivian restoration has a home for sure a braid up next one in red for an instant deal three or destroy an artifact now moving on to the uncommons, there's four here. Treasure Mage, two and a blue for a 2-2. When it ETBs, you can search your library for an artifact card with CMC 6 or greater. Reveal it, then shuffle your library. Yeah, that card, I think, again, better based on certainly the busted rears that you've got. Right, because the, the common that you get is like the 7 mana 5-7 Fabricate or whatever. Like, that card isn't good. Right, not good enough. Here's a card that is good enough. Thopter Foundry, this is white or black, so an Orzhov hybrid and blue mana for an artifact. Pay one, sack a non-token artifact, create a 1-1 blue Thopter artifact creature token with flying, you gain one life. This card is absurd in this format. Yeah, this card is great. You know, you can sack itself. I had my opponent try and topple the statue this, and I was like, nope, I'll just turn it into a 1-1 flyer. Yep. Card, it's so oppressive to play against. It turns off all your removal. It's it's a nightmare. Uh, Thirst for Knowledge, two and a blue for an instant, draw three, then discard two, or discard an artifact. Yeah, it's it's not not exciting. Yeah, I agree. I just think if the if all the card does is draw you cards, I don't think it's good. And that may be one of the reasons that blue suffers in this format is because that seems like a lot of where its power comes from, quote unquote. And I just don't think when every other color gets like two for ones for days, like drawing cards doesn't really matter. Uh, Reclamation Sage is our last uncommon. And then our two rares are Glimmer Void, which is a land that taps for one mana of any color and has at the beginning of the end step, if you control no artifacts, you sacrifice Glimmer Void. And Ensnaring Bridge, three mana for an artifact, creatures with power greater than the number of cards in your hand can't attack. Okay, so a lot to unpack here, a lot of cards to to hold in your mind, dear listeners, and a lot to think about in terms of which two cards are you going to select? So where where are your thoughts going here, Ben? So my, my first thought is that Thopter Foundry is far and away the best card, and I am taking it, no matter what. Like, I think that card is absurd, and it really makes me want to draft an artifact deck around it. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of other cards you could consider. I think Ensnaring Bridge is the other one that leaps out to me. So my my gut says I want to take Thopter Foundry and Ensnaring Bridge and try to do some sweet, sweet artifact nonsense with an Ensnaring Bridge deck. And I think if I were not doing that, I think I would pair Thopter Foundry with Reclamation Sage and just like 
assume they are probably not going in the same deck. And I think that's a, f- a fine place to be, but probably less optimal than picking two cards that go in the same deck because Reclamation Sage is not busted, right? So like you're going to end up with this weird tension if you do that, where most of the cards you pick are going to go with Thopter Foundry anyway, right? Because it's more power, it's the more powerful of the two. Mm-hmm. And then you just end up wasting your pick on Reclamation Sage potentially, but it does give you two routes to go down. Yeah, for sure. I, I elected to take Thopter Foundry and Glimmer Void for a couple of reasons. I, th- I thought Thopter Foundry is, a, again, I agree that it's the best card in the pack and I really would want to play it and Glimmer Void gives me that option. Like I can end up in a deck that can splash it and, and that can be helped by Glimmer Void. And also, you don't really get to spend a lot of picks on lands in this format. And so I felt like if I got to spend a pick on a land that could help me splash stuff that is like likely to make my deck because of how much I value artifacts, that I felt like that was a strong thing to do. I do think Glimmer Void is sweet. I agree. It's a high pick because there's not a lot of great fixing. And these artifact decks want to play a lot of colored payoffs from a lot of different colors, but you end up a lot of times with 16 or 17 artifacts. So really, you can have a mana base that looks kind of like a pile, but it's really not that big of a pile. And then Glimmer Void really helps that out as well. That's something that I think we should briefly touch on is that there there isn't really a lot of fixing in the format. Like there's Expedition Map at Common, which is a one mana artifact that you can tap, pay two, sack it to search up a land and put it into your hand. So it's any land, um, but it doesn't go into play. There's like the, the mana cyclers for green and black at Uncommon. You get like all of the mana fixing is kind of fleeting. Like Chromatic Star is a one shot. Pentad Prism is a two shot. Manamorphose is a one shot. Like Ash Barons lets you search up a basic. So that's good. But there's just not a lot of permanent fixing. Like so things that have like colored activations aren't great. And by and large, I think this is a two color format. Like I think you can do multicolor stuff, but it feels like it's mostly two colors with maybe a light splash. Yeah, that that feels I, I think there are, is like a, an artifact based five colors, like or multicolor spiciness. But yeah, I agree. Like the the bread and butter is it two color decks, two colors with a light splash. The other thing I would say is that the rare filter lands are not quite as helpful as you would like them to be, right? So if you're a green-white deck and you have the red-white filter land, it is not as helpful as you would expect a red-white dual land to be in splashing your red card. Yes, I agree. It's better than a basic, but like worse than... I was kind a, of, normal du- a normal dual. Normal dual, kind of maybe even worse than like Evolving Wilds or something, you know? Yes, certainly worse than Evolving Wilds, I think. Yeah, all right, so that's a lot to unpack jamming as much as we can about double masters into this one episode probably not going to revisit it again on the podcast though i think you and i will be playing it uh some over the next month or so oh i will be playing it a lot this format is very sweet and very deep and there's a lot to explore and i think a lot to explore at rare and mythic that you don't necessarily get to do every draft but that like when you get those sweet rares and mythics that push you down a certain path really let you go hard and do something cool yeah day one after like my third draft i tweeted i'm officially declaring this format sweet it is very very much an ethan format oh yeah there's tons of tons and tons of synergy and tons of decisions that matter like playing the white black deck where you have hidden stockpiles and you have a permanent sack outlet that benefits you like that's my favorite so deck. many so many decision points and so many triggers yeah that's my <laughs> i can hear the pain in your voice when you say the word <laughs> triggers <laughs> yeah but format is sweet uh would, would highly encourage you to check it out 
And hopefully our episode was helpful for you here, like for this format. And also just like, I think really interesting to frame that discussion of like why and how we rank the top commons and maybe how you're approaching it differently. But I think it's ultimately just two different ways to get to the same place in the format. Yeah. And I think that's an important, I think that'll make me feel better about having those discussions and perhaps it'll be an important discussion to return to for every set um, because I'm generally resistant to pick orders. You know, I, we were talking about this before the show as well, that like 17 lands came out and they tweeted at, at us because, you know, we, we use their their platform and they're like, hey, you can now make tier lists for double masters. And I was like, I can't think of anything I would rather do less. And I was thinking, ooh, yeah, I'm into it. Let's do it. Let's make a tier list. <laughs> oh my God. For, for me, it's for me, it's not so much about like the the ranking of it, like having the ranking and following the ranking. For me, it's like a framework to get my thoughts about the format organized and then to like I said it's it's like a science experiment like once I have it on paper it's a hypothesis that I'm constantly testing and reevaluating yeah makes sense so yeah great place to wrap us up and thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen come check us out on twitch and twitter i'm at twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben's at twitch.tv slash mr metronome mr is spelled out both under those same usernames on twitter and you can tweet at the podcast at lords of limited if you've got any feedback about the show shoot us an email at lords of limited at gmail.com thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I do think like maybe there's a an aggro version of the deck yeah. where you use salivating gremlins, right? Like, I, I said, I I said that. Did you? Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll listen more carefully. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We've got our outro, ladies and gentlemen. That's embarrassing. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about something else while you were talking. It's okay. Uh, obviously. <laughs> I hope <laughs> my so. Face, my, face, my face is getting so red. Okay. <clears throat>